G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome in uh, to the afternoon show for your Wednesday 10th of August. Sam Hewitt sitting in for Steph, who is away for the rest of this week and next week. Uh, but Stephen McIver is going to take you through until 4 from next week. I'm here until Friday and uh, going to have a bit of fun today between now and 1 o'clock. Midday madness. Uh, I want your stories of famous athletes that you encountered as a kid. So you might have played high school rugby with Dan Carter and maybe you made the team over him or... Uh, Maybe you're famous for scoring a goal against Ryan Nelson um, or you know someone equally as famous in the footballing department. I, I want to hear your stories. I know everyone's got them. I've got a couple, um, but I know all of you out there are going to have some rippers and we're already getting some on the text machine, double eight double three. but we want your calls. 0800 150 811 um, for Midday Madness today. Um, else, elsewhere on the show, after one o'clock, we're going to chat with uh, Mitch McLennigan. This news about Trent Bolt walking out uh, walking away from his New Zealand cricket contract. Um, as I understand it, it is purely a family decision. Um, the idea that he is going to be a gun for hire and go to T20 leagues around the world is not really what factored into his thinking. It was it was purely because he's had his third child, um, three boys, which is a, is a lot for a, uh, for a mum at home. Um, so he has made the decision to uh, just step back from New Zealand cricketing jersey. But, but in any case... It does set an interesting precedent, doesn't it? Because here's a guy who is probably one of our greatest bowlers, um, and New Zealand cricket are saying you, you can walk away, and unlike guys like Mitchell McLennigan and, and Colin Munro, you won't be blacklisted. Um, you know, you're still going to be available for selection, and he might feature at a T20 World Cup later in the year. So I want to talk to Mitch McLennigan because he was sort of the first guy to do that back in 2017. You'll remember he walked out on his contract to um, go and pursue IPL contracts and T20 leagues overseas. He wasn't in the same boat as Trent in the fact that he wasn't our premier bowler. He might have even been on the outer with New Zealand cricket. But um, there's some fascinating ramifications from this and um, we're going to talk to Mitch about it and, and just see how he... Sees the whole saga unfolding. Um, after 2 o'clock, we're going to chat with Alex Schiffer out of The Athletic in the US. He writes on all things Brooklyn Nets and the NBA. Um, the Athletic is just one of the great um, sports publications online. If you haven't checked it out, you should go and have a look. Um, Kevin Durant and Sean Marks. We have a Kiwi at the centre of some NBA drama. Kevin Durant's basically told um, the Nets owner... Either you get rid of Sean Marks and Steve Nash, who's the coach, or I want to be traded. And it's going to create a very interesting standoff because the owners said, I back Sean Marks and Steve Nash 100%, but I don't want to trade Kevin Durant. So what's going to happen? Um, it's going to be very, very interesting. And just around that Brooklyn Nets organisation, I mean, there's a side last year that had arguably the best roster in the competition. You know, James Harden, um, Kevin, Durant, uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, um, Andre Drummond. They had LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, just the names go on. And they came seventh in the Eastern Conference, bailed out in the playoffs. Um, so, you know, what, what is going on at the organisation? And uh, is Sean Marks, should he be held um, accountable? Going to chat with uh, Alex about that. Um, remember, we're only going till three today because we have running it straight. Uh, myself and Kempi from three to four. We're going to talk rugby league for an hour. Um, so we're only on from 12 till three. Uh, but we've got obviously tons coming out. We've got the chase today as well. 
at around about 2.40, your chance to try and uh, beat the chaser and uh, and go into the history books as a chase defeater. Someone did it against Steffi a couple of weeks ago, although he just does protest the result. The protest is pending. Um, so... But you could but you could join the party. Absolutely join the party at two forty. Um but between twelve and one, I want to hear your stories of some famous Kiwi athletes, past, present, that you encountered as a kid at, you know, high school, maybe club level. Um, maybe you played cricket with them and now they're a famous all black. Um, there's going to be some rippers out there, I can guarantee it. So give us a call, oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. It's midday madness. Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Midday Manus, 0800 Sorry, we're just having a few troubles with the uh, with the phone lines. Um, of course, the Rural Roundup is on uh, from 12 to 1 as well. So um, if you're wanting to stay, listen to, uh, stay listening to uh, Afternoons, you can listen on the app. Um, and I think we're going to kick it off with Dean on line one. G'day, Dean. Yeah, how you going, mate? All right? Very well, mate. You got a story of, uh, of a famous star you played against? Oh, yeah, he's famous in his own lifetime. It's more of a family famous thing, if you know what I mean, but it was bloody funny. It was my uncle, he's dead at the moment, but he's still smiling because he used to tell the story way better than I would. But my brother-in-law, Lloyd Butler, he was an absolute larrikin of the rugby club, you know, under 18s it was. And uh, they were playing Waikiki, and anyone at Pirates, we didn't even know where Waikiki is, but we needed something with about three or four minutes to go to get us out of jail. And Keith would be on the sideline yelling out, for Christ's sake, Butler, give us something. And he wouldn't have been that nice. And Waikiki kicked off, and they were leading him by about two or three. And uh, Lloyd's under the kickoff, and he catches it, which was the amazement of most people on the sideline. But Waikiki parted like the Red, red Sea. <laughs> Lloyd sprints through. So this is a 60-metre, it was probably a 75-metre bulls up, to be honest. But he sprints through the gap. The only one left is some runty little fullback in red and black, and he just mowed over him. And I kid you not, Reedy Park, where this game was played, the fields are back-to-back, so I don't even use that as an excuse. But Lloyd dived like Zinni Brook on the ad on TV, not Zinni Brook, Artie Savia, over the dead ball line. <laughs> I kid you not. He did all the hard work, oh. and he was just a scruffy little, or not little, but a scruffy panel beater on the bones of his ass. Then he picked up his bottom lip and got a job at Kamalco T.Y. They seen something in him that we all knew he had. He's a good bugger. Now he's over there in Australia, one of the big wigs of Camalco, doing everything, doing the family proud, you know. Brilliant. Oh, that's Unbelievable awesome. Yarn. That's awesome, yeah, Dean. Great great yeah. family, yeah. It re- reminds me of um, a guy in high school when I used to play. We called them the hedgehogs. Uh, I think it was under 55 kgs, which now that I think about it, is absolutely tiny, big at the time. Um, and we had a young guy from, um, I think it was Korea or, or China, and just rapid, absolutely rapid, and um, played out on the wing. You just give him the ball and he scores a try. That's what you would think. 
he could not get over um, the five meter, you know, the five meter tram tracks out from the try line, and he would always put the ball down on the tram tracks instead of on the try line. It literally would have happened about ten times in a season. Just couldn't, just couldn't work out that the try line was an extra five meters away. So uh, a lot of five meter scrums for for the Hedgehogs that year. It's gold, isn't it? It's gold. And that's why we played the game. We got another one when I was in um, Senior C. We had a wee Maryfowl that was rapid as on the wing too. And we are playing at Collegiate. And right behind Collegiate's dead ball lines, the Puny Creek. And it was a bit of a greasy day that day. And he chased a chip kick and he picked it up, scooted like 30 metres. The ball was probably put through from Bruce Malloy, one of the best backs never to play for Southland in my opinion. But this kid caught it, dived in for the try, but kept sliding and landed in the creek. Like, he went right down the bank into the creek. Jeepers. <laughs> that was a try that we got there. Like, we needed that try. Lloyd, we're still laughing about it because we lost. <laughs> Mate, that's, um, that, that, there are those fields that have, we, we talked about that with staff, I remember, a couple of months ago about, you know, some really um, crap fields around New Zealand. And uh, it reminded me of one I played on as a kid where the try lines were like, they're basically like bitumen. They were like some, they're like yeah. concrete, basically, the try lines. And so you, you'd obviously never slid. You always just tried to, you know, walk over and put it down. You never wanted to slide it um, Dean, appreciate your call as always, my friend. Um, 0800 150 Give us a call with your stories of people you played with as a kid that have turned out to be really, really famous. We've got some great texts on double eight double three, but always love your calls. Um, like I mentioned to Smithy, Marco Rojas, I went to intermediate with him. And he, funnily enough, he was my cricket captain. So not football, even though that's what he went on to do, but he was my cricket captain at Intermediate. He was actually a very handy player, great bowler. Um, he'd never let me bowl. He never let me bowl. He like we we I'm not gonna say we were mates, but we were, you know, made each other laugh and had a good time on the cricket field. Wouldn't wouldn't even give me the ball. And I was like, Marco, what's going on, mate? Um, you know, give me a chance. <laughs> I was never gonna get better if if the if the fella didn't give me a give me a shot. Um he's obviously gone on to become a very good footballer which I just find hilarious, given that it was cricket. Um, the other one, my claim to fame, of course, was uh, Chris Wood in high school, the big fella, um, playing football at St Paul's Collegiate. And I think I've told the story on here before where we were playing Cambridge or um, I might have even been on the sideline watching him play Cambridge United and um, free kick on halfway. And Chris Wood steps up and for most high school footballers, you'd, you'd probably ping it into the box or pass it to one of your um, backs behind you. From halfway, he just struck it, and the ball didn't stop rising when it hit the top right corner. It was still rising as it hit the top right corner. It was an absolute worldie. Um, I've got a couple of other Crystal Wood stories as well, but I'll save those for another day. Um, Jeff, the ref, has called in. G'day, Jeff. G'day, Sam. How you going, buddy? Very well, my friend. Yeah, no, it's just minus five here down in the deep south. Jeepers. You got the fire on, mate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Good, man. Good, man. Um, but yeah, you remember old Andrew Hall down in our part sort of made the headline news there when he was sort of uh, coming out a few seals down on the Otago Harbour there a few yes. years back. And yes, Anyway, um, <laughs> Mudfish versus Matakanui Mudfish versus um, uh, the old um, Maggots in Ramfurly playing a, a, during the week. Uh, under lights because it was duck shooting weekend, right? And it just happened to be right. just just after old old uh, Hori uh, had made the news. But the first line out of the game was, it was uh, normally you know, the old um, the old hooker throws in the gives a call. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. 
this is the grudge match. It always is between those two teams. And anyway, was I set the gap, you know, the beautiful, and the call come in. Sir Killer, and tell you what, half the both teams are on the ground just laughing their oh. guts out. That was so funny. Oh, I tell you what, he was in for it, wasn't he, after after that came out. I imagine any team he came up against that was used as ammunition. Yeah, yeah he did. Oh, yeah, it was really funny. He took it well, too, but it was like poking the bear, poking the old bear. He probably he won the game for the Maggots in the end. But, um, what a name for a team, yeah, too, the Maggots. Oh, yeah, Maniatoto Maggots. <laughs> and one thing about Andrew, he, uh, if there's a state... In the referee's room after I refereed, means I refereed well. If there wasn't, uh, he reckons I refereed like shit. But well, it was probably fifty-fifty, really. You know. Um, uh, yeah, the other thing I, we, another traditional thing is uh, Sam is in Upper Clothy area. The Wanaka they have the Herefords versus the Marinos. So the Marinos is the terrace side where Neil Purvis. Um, Played for back in the day when he was an All Black, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and I got to line him up for the for the Herefords, and uh, he just ran over me, mate. Jeez, but, <laughs> you know, he was our local local hero, and uh, yeah, I know there's been lots of you know I've refereed the Legend All Blacks with Andy Hayden and Tony Norton, and, and they were getting subbed every five minutes to go and um, uh, put a bloody uh, Booker, you know, for the races, they're on the, in the race book most of the time, but, you know, you had Billy Bush and other you know, hard yeah. cases, but, you know, no, good buggers. Yeah. You know? No, awesome, um, awesome stuff, Jeff. Um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you've refereed a lot of uh, a lot of famous people over the years. Appreciate you call, my friend. Um, 0800 if you want to ring in. I'll read out a couple of texts because there's some that have come in that are fantastic, and I'm hoping that it's going to spur on some of your memories. Um this one here is from Eden. It says, I was a net bowler for the Black Caps in Whangarei about 11 or 12 years ago. Brendan McCullum was batting in one of the pace bowler nets and after 10 or so minutes, he pulled out the bowler's end stump and put it halfway down the pitch and asked the pace bowlers to bowl from where he put the stump. He then proceeded to face and play not too bad against the Black Caps pace bowlers bowling from halfway down the pitch. Absolutely elite. I see. So they started bowling from halfway down and Brendan McCullum was just hitting them all around the place. That's that's fantastic. Um, Henry says, in third form at Christchurch, boys, I was a ball boy for the first 15, and Dan Carter was the first five. Also opened the batting with Todd Astle in third and fourth form before moving to Auckland. Henry, that's fantastic. Um, so what you're saying is, had you stayed where you were, you and Todd Astle might have been opening the batting for the Black Caps. That's what happens when people to move to Auckland, mate. That's why they lose all their talent. <laughs> That's a bit rough. I moved to Auckland as well. Maybe that's true. Golfer uh, Grant, this is from Unnamed Texas, Golfer Grant White, intermediate school. His mum and my mum were at camp, were camp helpers. A lot of the kids got sick, and as Grant wanted to be with his mum, my mum got turfed out of the room so Grant could have his wish. My mum had to bunker down with all the other students. (laughs) Wait, sorry, Grant, wait. (laughs) That is a great, yeah, there you go. Um, I'm sure there's more out there. There's got to be... Uh, people that you went to school with or you played club rugby with or maybe you just uh, played against that have gone on to become, you know, All Blacks, Black Caps, um, Black Sticks, Football Ferns, um, whatever it is. Well, I would love to hear from you. 0800 150 11. It's Midday Madness. We'll be back after this.
Yeah, Sam Hewitt sitting in for staff for the rest of the week. And uh, Midday Madness, we're talking your stories of playing against famous, now famous athletes um, when you were younger. Um, and we've got producer Niv in the seat today. Uh, Neeps is looking after the Royal Roundup. So, uh, Niv, you might have a couple of yarns from your younger days. Yeah, mate. Um, I grew up in Kitty Kitty, up in the beautiful Bay of Islands. Amazing part of the country. Oh, it's a stunning part of the Tony, country. Tony isn't it? Kemp's neck of the woods. Oh, is it actually? Yeah, I, he's I, got, a, not got a nice house up there, old uh, Kempy, the palatial estate. Look, I bet it's better than mine. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that. But um, I grew up with um, Sam Nock and Tom Robinson, great, yep. great Northland Tunnyfire and yes. blues players. Yes. Um, Sam Nock and I were, you know, pretty close back in the day because um, he lived just down the road from me. But what I really wanted to share was Tom Robinson because his Dad's a former All Black, Alistair yes, Robinson. Yes, and uh, used to herd cows for him on his farm. He's y- used to what? Herd cows for oh, him. Herd cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you said hit cows. Um, no, ca- none of that you- Andrew Hoare type stuff. Um, <laughs> so you used to herd cows. Herd cows. For not the Robinsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just a couple of times. It was, it was good fun. Just bashing through gorse basically and making sure they go from one paddock to the other. Okay. And so, uh, uh, any, yeah. any sense that um, Tom Robinson was going to be a, you know, a, a rugby star? Uh, back at back at that age, from day one, eh? He just he had something about him. I actually went to uni with him as well, and because he was he was injury struck a little bit, yeah. Um, in uni days, and he was doing commerce and law while I was doing commerce as well, and um, he just stuck at it, mate. Like. I would be in the gym and he'd be in the gym, but he would be just doing some crazy stuff and he was determined. You knew he was always on track to, to crack the blues and whatever they asked of him, he did it. Um, I just want to see him with the black jersey on, if I'm honest. Um, a lot of people do. Yeah. A lot of people do. Um, I nice. think he could bring some beautiful ball carrying. So nice. there you have it. There you go. Um, good story there from Niv. Um, 0800 150 if you've got a story. And um, I think we have... Roy on the phone, is he? I'm getting um, thumbs down from the boys in the booth. Do we have Roy on the phone there? Roy, do we have you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. How are you? Good, mate. You've got a story for us. I do. I've got a couple, I suppose. Um, I think probably my... Well, so uh, went to school with... Um, <laughs> look, look, these are some pretty lame stories, but uh, but they're my sort of claim to fame, I guess. Um, one was went to school with a with a dude named Andy Mackay who played one test for uh, for the Black Caps, and I remember right. we went to primary school together, and we used to play down on on the backfield. And you know he was he was a couple of years older, but he was he was clearly a lot better than the rest of us. And sure enough, he made it to the Black Caps. Um, and uh, but probably the one that I'm I'm most sort of happy about and most proud about was I'd got involved um, for for one of my jobs. Uh, as uh, playing for it was a charity game uh, involving uh, New Zealand football, and uh, playing in that game was the the one and only Fred De Jong. Ah. Um, now <laughs> it's uh, he was he was playing at the back, and uh, obviously Fred De Jong uh, is a striker by trade. Uh, but in this particular occasion, he was playing centre back, and uh, I was lucky enough to be playing up the front. So my claim to fame uh, is that uh, I got in behind Fred De Jong. And slotted a, a nice side foot finish. So, you know, I got the better of Fred De Jong. And I think probably to this day, you know, Fred De Jong knows he's my bunny. Oh, Fred still has nightmares about it, does he? Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> and uh, and you're just exploiting his weaknesses, like you said, striker, but uh, moving into the centre-back position. But you knew that, and you just knew how to exploit him. Absolutely, I, I think as it you know, as soon as it happened, I was like, "Yes, this is this is going to be this is going to go down as one of my uh, favourite sporting moments uh, of my life." Um, and then a few minutes later, or you know, maybe it was hours later, I was like, "Oh yeah, that, 
it wasn't really the role he played on the football field. But Mate, I'm, don't, I'm you don't tell it. you don't tell people that, Roy. You don't tell people that. And, no, that's uh, right. We're, 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 they the, didn't know. Were there goalies involved? Did you have to, you know, do a bit yeah. of extra work? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember who the goalie was, but there was a goalie. Yes, oh, there, there was. There you go. Brilliant. It was that good. There you go, Roy, uh, calling in there, 0800 150 811. Um, if you've got a story like Roy's, beating Fred de Jong at centre-back, that's pretty cool. Um, very, very cool. I'm trying to think. I, I think I told you guys yesterday that I played uh, rugby with Mark uh, with Ian Foster's son. Um, I think it was the Hamilton Bowers, which was the, uh, I think, under-85s. or No, it must be, must be smaller than that. Whatever the one below Roller Mills was, um, I remember playing rugby with him and, and having Ian Foster on the sideline watching us. Um, you know, that was early days for Ian Foster. Um, if he needs an impact player, I'm still here. I'm still available. Uh, if you can remember what I brought to the party back in uh, 2003, 2004, as a, uh, as a 40kg winger. Um, you know, good in the air. Good in the air, Ian. 0800-150-811 if you're listening, mate. Um, but want your stories here on Midday Man. We're going to take a news break, and uh, when we come back, um, I'm sure there's more out there, people. I'm getting some texts on double eight double three, the Temper Bed Post text machine, but um, I want some stories on the phone. 0800-150-811. What's your claim to fame? What is your claim to fame as a kid um, or as a teenager? Who did you play against? And Yes. Oh, no, mate. Beaver. Fantastic. Fire away. Um well, so I grew up out in uh, the mighty counties Manukau, and um, we uh, we used to come up against Beaver um, in rugby and cricket. Um, but this one's actually this one's about cricket. So, Brilliant, I love uh, it. I, I was an average cricket player, but you know I loved it. So um, we're out we're out playing Beaver's team in Waiuku, and um, coach says to me, "Oh, you know you haven't batted in a while. Why don't we stick you out the order?" Um, and I went, okay, you know, that's great. Um, so I got, I come in at number three and um, they changed the bowling and, and Beaver comes on. <laughs> and I'm usually quite a conservative batsman, but the coach is doing the umpiring and he's in my ear saying, you know, you've got to go after this guy, you've got to go after this guy. So then I'm in two minds. Um, he bowls his whatever he bowls, right arm something. <laughs> it's pretty slow, pretty crap. Right arm slow to medium. Um, yeah, and <laughs> I left the first one, right, which is how I like to bat. And the coach is going, no, 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 you've got to go after him. You've got to go after him. So he he puts one up for the second delivery, and I'm thinking, oh, it's not really there. But the coach just said, I've got to go for it. So I give it the big heave-ho, and he cleans me up. Oh, straight through the gate. Yeah, straight through the gate. Oh. So, Did he celebrate? Was he was he an, an oh. obnoxious celebrator? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. What? He, he probably still think. Nah, nah. He he's long forgotten about that. But you know, <laughs> I like to think he still thinks about those those kinds of things. I'll tell you what, mate. I'll ask him. I'll ask him uh, before he comes on today. What what level of cricket was that? Oh, that would have been high school. Um, I can't remember if he would have been playing for Waiku High School or the cricket club, but we were playing for Karaka at the time. So it would have been yeah, like fifteen, sixteen years old, something like that. Brilliant. And what about what about when you came up against him in rugby? Um, I honestly I can't remember him too much <laughs> playing, playing rugby against him. Not that he wasn't a standout or anything oh, of course like that. not. No, just um, just can't can't recall um, back, you know, in, anything significant from back then. No, nah, hey, that's a that's a great story though about uh, about playing against him in cricket and. Um, 
Look, I'd love to see Beaver bowling, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure what his physique was like back then, but he's you know he's got a bit of height to him now. Um, you know, he'd definitely be he'd definitely have a bit of pace about him, I reckon. Yeah, I think back then it might have been slow or even off spin or something like that. Okay, but bit of I a think tweaker. Back then we're all just kind of pretty skinny kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, everyone pretty much bowled the same back then. Um, Sam, appreciate your call, mate. Love to love to hear your story about Beaver in the cricket scene. Uh, 0800 150 If you've got a story yourself, give us a call here on Midday Madness. Um, some claims to fame as a kid. Um, I'm trying to think of when I played rugby, if there was anyone else that I came up against. See, I played for Frankton, and we had a very good team, but then I switched to football when I was about 11 or 12 years old and then played that for most of my high school years. Um, and we didn't really, St Paul's didn't really produce any um, superstar rugby players. Not in my time anyway. Um, Football-wise, I mentioned Chris Wood, um, Marco Rojas, of course, but there's got to be there's got to be some better ones out there, people. Um, I know... You know, Brendan McCullum, wasn't he famous for usurping Dan Carter um, at first five in the in the local Christchurch comp? Have I got that one right? Um, surely there's someone out there who has uh, who was who was given the number one role over, you know, an Aaron Smith or someone at high school. And uh, and unfortunately, well, not unfortunately for them, but unfortunately for you, they've got on to become successful All Blacks, and you're, uh, you know, doing your day job nine to five. Give us a call, 0800-150-811. Midday Madness, we'll come back with your calls after this. 20 minutes away from 1 o'clock here on Afternoons with Steffi. Sam Hewitt sitting in for Steph. Um, I've got a couple of text messages in here that I want to read out. Double eight, double three on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Mike from Hamilton says, I played in the Premier Cricket Final in Hamilton in 2008 for Hamilton Old Boys. BJ Watling scored 330 for us as a 17-year-old. Then got on a plane to join ND. We bowled out suburbs for 150 and 170, less than BJ scored in one innings. That's from Mike. Mike, was that the one at um, Jansen Park? Because I remember that being brought up, um, I think we talked to BJ a couple of months ago, and it got brought up that 330-odd, was it 337 or 338 at Jansen Park in Hamilton, which I know well because I used to play football there quite a lot. Um, And he did it as a 17-year-old, which is pretty remarkable playing in a Premier Cricket. I mean, playing Premier Cricket at that age is, is pretty remarkable in and of itself, 17 years, but then to go and score 330. Um, BJ Watling, man, don't we miss him at the moment in the Black Caps? I reckon we do. Um, and I've got a text in here that says, it, it's about half a text, and then it says, some text is missing. It it says that in the text, and I think this is from one of our mates over in Brizzy. Um, so you might have to send that one in again so I can read it out for you. But um, 0800 if you have a um, claim to fame as a youngster, someone famous that you played against who wasn't famous then but is now famous and doing big things while you work your nine to five, um, would love to hear from you. Also, um, look, you know, we've got another 10 or so minutes. If you want to um, give any thoughts on the Trent Bolt situation, um, Trent Bolt stepping away from his contract with New Zealand Cricket, um, I understand it's you know heavily for family reasons, but it's very interesting, is it? I think cricket might be realising, or New Zealand cricket might be realising that um, this is the future of the game, where you can't afford to not let guys go overseas and ply their trade in, in T20 and domestic leagues, um, because you know, and we're seeing it in rugby as well. You can't keep guys here where you're only playing, you know. 10 to 15 domestic games a season and getting paid diddly squat 
Um, you can't expect them to stay here and do that, you know, just to play for the Black Caps when they can get offered, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to play overseas. So maybe that maybe the Black Caps are just realising um, that this is is the future. But what do you make of it? What do you think? Um, you shouldn't you should and and actually let's extend it to New Zealand rugby as well. Should our codes be more willing to let players play overseas and and still be selected for national teams? I've always found it interesting with rugby. It's it is like and this is probably where the, where NZR are coming from. It is a bit of a catch twenty two because you know you have if you take them away from New Zealand once again, our domestic com- competitions get absolutely gutted. The NPC Super Rugby, you'll you'll see the best players no longer playing here. Um, that is the disadvantage, and we already talk about how we don't see the best players playing here as is. The advantages that um, guys still stay in the game, they go overseas, they get experience playing in England and France and Japan, wherever it is, and then they come back and they you know, can be selected by the All Blacks and it helps, I guess, free up a bit of money because somebody else is paying their contract, those big million-dollar contracts. You're not having to spend overs to keep them here in New Zealand. But I don't know. I'd be interested to see where you guys sit um, as to whether or not our national bodies need to start letting players go overseas and still be selected for a national team. Um, I think Sam has called up to give us a, a bit of a story of when he was a youngster. G'day, Sam. Yeah, g'day, Sam. Sam. Sam, Sam to Sam. Jeepers, there we go. Great name, great name. What have you got for us, mate? Um, look, I'd, I'd love it to be a story about bumping off Jonah Lummer or something, but it's um, probably not as exciting as that. Um, I did captain the always captain Winston Reid in under-11s at Takapuna Football Club, though. <laughs> That's fantastic. You were the captain of the captain. I was. He was a year younger, which probably... Uh, Played into your hands. My dad was the coach. Um, your dad was the coach. So my dad was the coach. So effectively, <laughs> on leadership was probably better than Winston Reid. Um, haven't earned the same sort of money and got a bit fat and slow. Uh, and he went on to good things. So yeah, not he, so exciting. But um, yeah, look, he um, he probably looks up to me, and I was probably a big part of who he is. <laughs> I love that, Sam. Yeah, he's off earning uh, multiple millions, and you're, and you're working your nine to five. Uh, what was he like, mate? What was he like back then? Uh, you know, could you tell something special was uh, was on the cards? No, he, he was a pretty shy kid. He was really good. He was the best player in the team by far, and should have been captain. Um, <laughs> and it skinned me a lot, but I, I, I remember taking him out, so also could have ruined his career. But um, but no, that's why really that's nice. why he's got all the injuries, Sam. Yeah, I know. I know. That's from you, buddy. But. Um, yeah, then he moved over to, I think it was Denmark the year after that. And um, obviously playing in a better system helped him out a little bit and he carried on with it. So, And I'm um, working on minimum wage and eating pies for lunch. So, um, <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's a fantastic story, Sam. Um, look, yeah, what could have been? Had you stuck with the uh, with the over, with the round ball code? Um, exactly. Great, great yarn, mate. Hey, appreciate the call. 0800 If you want to give us your yarn, um, got plenty of lines free there. Um, a couple of texts that have come through. Um, JD in Mount Eden says, uh, Sam, I was playing in the nets on Eden Park number two back in the day during a test match. This kid would have been all of eight or nine. Asked if he could bowl. I watched him bowl in awe. Incredible action for someone so young and quick. It was Chris Kens. That is awesome, JD. I absolutely love those ones. Um, back in the day when I was covering, I gotta, I gotta expand this text. Back in the day when I was covering college sports, saw Christian Callum uh, play for Carpety College, but because he wasn't playing at one of the boys' colleges, a rugby union guy said to me, "He can't be that good then." <sighs> Whew, bet he ate those words. 
I bet he ate those words. Man, how many how many good athletes around the world would have been told? And you hear all the stories, don't you? Like Michael Jordan, who missed out on his high school team. Um, I know Aaron Smith, you know, battled with people telling him he was too too small throughout his career. How many athletes worldwide would have come up to a situation where people would have said, nah, not going to happen, you're not in the right place, you're not the right size, you're not this, you're not that, and they persevered and became amazing. And conversely, how many have we lost over the years? How many potential superstars walked away from a sport because they were just told, ah, oh, you know, you're, you're not quite there or you're too small, you're not fast enough? I love I love the hypothetical question. Uh, someone's texting, at a under-16 rugby trial, uh, one Jerry Collins lasted just the first half before the coaches dragged him, um, quote-unquote, before he damaged someone. He was about 14 at the time. <laughs> that does not surprise me. At an under-16 rugby trial, and he did that throughout his whole career. Jerry, didn't he? Rest in peace to the great man. Um, Joe, uh, in Newcastle, in Australia, this is the text that came through. Um, I've got the full one here now. Um, I'm from a small town south of Westport called Charleston and was a mad Brisbane Broncos fan staying up till the early hours to watch the... Uh, to watch the one game a week, usually Broncos, on free-to-air in the 90s. Fast forward, I made the Buller team in 2001 at 20 years old, and in my third game preseason, we played for the Ranfilly Shield against Canterbury. And I get to the first line-out, and I'm standing there, looked up, marking Brad Thorne in his first game of rugby. Needless to say, I got a pick with him and got him to sign my program after. Joey, that is the story of the day, my friend. Coming up against Brand Thorne after being a Brisbane Broncos fan through the 90s, that is a dream come true. That's one thing I've always wished. Um, I, I guess it could still happen, you know. I'm only I'm nearly 30 years old, but uh, I'd love to play against an idol. You know, if it was, uh, gee, I don't know. Wouldn't it be fun to just have a little bit of a one-on-one with Michael Jordan? I'd get absolutely towed up. I probably wouldn't score a bucket. But just to say that you've had a little one-on-one with Michael Jordan or... I'm not going to say I'm going to get bowled to by, uh, you know, a, a Trent Bolt or Tim Southey, but I'd love to bowl to a Brendan McCullum or uh, a Kane Williamson. Once again, I'll get nowhere near bowling them out, but just to bowl six balls to them. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, that would be awesome. And just one more final one here just before we take a break. Uh, when I, this, is from Sam, uh, oh, this is either from Sam or he's saying cheers to Sam. Uh, when I was about 19 or 20, my younger sister, who was about 16, started seeing a young rugby player about the same age that she had met. She said he was quite good and was kicking goals from all over the park. I scoffed a bit thinking, wouldn't be as good as me. <laughs> and my sister uh, probably has no idea what a really good rugby player actually is. He'd also dyed his hair blue, uh, his team colours for his rugby final, which turned me off even more. Turned out, it was Dan Carter. Not too bad in the end. Oh, that's great. Um, I, he says, don't say my name on air because uh, <laughs> his sister might kick my ass. Oh, that is, that's awesome. That is awesome. That's a great story, mate. I um, really appreciate you sending that in. Double eight, double three. Um, we've got time for a couple more. If you want to jump on the phone, 0800 150 We'll be back after this. Yeah, welcome back in. A couple of minutes away from one o'clock. And just walking past the booth was our great man out in the broadcast department, uh, Brendan English. And Brendan said, mate, you got to hear this story, uh, Brendan. You've got a you've got a claim to fame from when you were a kid. Yeah, absolutely. I was um, I, yeah, I was out there listening to your, to your segment today, and I just had to pop my head in because um, going uh, to St. Pat's Silverstream when I was younger, great school. In, yeah, great school, great great brotherhood there. <laughs> um, used to used to play with a, a, a lot of guys that are um, you know touring at the moment around New Zealand and um, and around the country, like um, Asafa Moore. Yes, when I was year nine, um, he would have been year thirteen. Um, so we used to meet. 
meet each other on the um, fields. The hello turfs. The hello turfs at lunchtime, and it was always the year nines versus the year thirteens. Right. Um, and it was about yeah, yeah, about who, fifteen versus fifteen people, and it was that it, doesn't sound fair. Yeah. Well, there was no ref, Sam. Put it that way. So a lot of cheap shots. Uh, yeah, but we used to. I, so you held your own. I, I used to pick out a suffer amount um, among you know all the year thirteens. I just used to line them up. I used to be like me and you run it straight every time. Sam, I used to smash him. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> no. Was no. he like the captain of the first fifteen or something? Absolutely. Or, yeah, yeah, right, so it, it would have been. It would have been him or um, Lossi Filippo or one, or one of those um, big right. players that are around right now. But um, yeah, yeah. And we actually won the, the the cup that year for the sort of first fifteen team. Yeah. Um, and it was a tradition. He was eighteen at the time, and you fill the cup up with beer. Of course, like, of course you do. Yes. And big um, cup. It was a big cup. They yeah. had a few beers. Yeah. And um, he he took it around to all the year thirteens that were eighteen years old. But luckily, I was. I was amongst the group somehow, and our little year nine was like, yo, I'll have some of that. <laughs> first sip of beer uh, from a Safa Mua from, from the cup. It's <laughs> fantastic. Your first sip of beer came from a Safa Mua. That is a great claim to fame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you remember what, what it was? Steiny? Oh, something like that. Yeah. Something cheap. And no. did, was the voice that high back then? Yes, it, well, it still yeah. is. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, it would have been definitely back in year nine. Were you, because, um, you know, you're, you're probably over six foot now. Like, were you a big, you know, oh, did yeah. you, have, you, that you could have blended in with the year 13s? Oh, like yeah, that, I would, no, I was passable. definitely um, bigger than bigger than your average year nine. Um, sure. So that's why I used to pick out a suffer and lossy, and I used to, you know, like, lie them up and be like, this is, you know, this is my chance to play against an all black. It's that confidence, Brendan, that we love about you. Yeah, cheers. Uh, thanks for jumping on, mate. Appreciate it. There you go. Brendan from Broadcast Operations, um, drinking his first beer. From the cup, courtesy of Asafra Amua. It's a great yarn. Uh, we're coming up at uh, 1 o'clock here after 1. Uh, we're going to go through some of your texts. Uh, still some room for calls if you want. We're also going to catch up with Mitch McLennigan to talk uh, Trent Bolt walking away from his New Zealand cricket contract. We'll also find out what's making news. Stick with us. Johnny Mac up next with news. The Warriors fan pages over the last few days and also Ricky Stewart who has been given a one-match ban and a $25,000 fine. Um, he can't attend any of the team's trainings or communicate with anyone for a week, as I understand, so until next Wednesday. So very, very interesting. We'll talk uh, more about that between 3 and 4 with Kempe. Uh, coming up between now and 2 o'clock, we will chat with Mitch McLennigan very, very shortly. Trent Bolt, who's stepped away from his New Zealand cricket contract um, and he cited family reasons. That's sort of the number one thing. But also it means he can go and play domestically uh, overseas, you know, T20 leagues, etc., um, without the, the need to be recalled for the black caps and, and keep, you know, um, tours in mind and that sort of thing, um, earn a bit more money. Uh, Mitch McLennigan was sort of the first person to do that back in 2017, was certainly the most high profile pulling out of his contract to go. They called him a gun for hire, didn't they, back then? And I think back when Mitch did it, it was a lot more frowned upon than perhaps it, it is now. Um, I know circumstances are a little bit different with Trent Bolt, who's sort of our number one bowler. But yeah, going to talk to Mitch about um, whether or not this is the future of cricket in New Zealand, letting guys play overseas, you know, changing that rule and that mindset around letting guys go overseas to play and then being picked for the black caps. Of course, they still can be now, but they just favour those who, who stay home and you know have central contracts. So um, I wonder if rugby need to do the same. I did mention this in the uh, 12 to 1 hour, but I'd love to get your thoughts. We've got a, you know, a few minutes here before we get Mitch on the line. If you, if you did want to um, give us your thoughts on 0800 811, um, is it time New Zealand rugby allowed players to play overseas like the Springboks do? You know, this is the funny thing that people think it's going to diminish the All Blacks, but the Springboks um, have been doing it for a while. They won a World Cup. 
look at them beating the All Blacks um, convincingly in uh, Nelspruit and probably at Alice Park this weekend. So no problem for them. Um, Australia are sort of starting to do it a little bit. Um, you know, the, the Matt Gatto law, they say. So is it time New Zealand rugby did the same thing? It is going to, I guess, harm our local competitions. You'll, you'll lose the best players, right? They're not going to play NPC and, and Super Rugby when they can go and play in France and Japan for millions of dollars. But um, it means that a lot more money gets freed up to New Zealand rugby, which could go back into the grassroots and into you know development and clubs, etc., which we've all been crying out for. So, yeah, give us a give us a shout if you've got any thought on that. Oh eight hundred one five zero eleven. We'll also find out what's making news this hour after two o'clock. Um, Alex Schiffer out of the Athletic. Um, he's a Brooklyn Nets beat writer, and the saga developing between Kevin Durant and the Kiwi GM Sean Marks. It's not often a Kiwi's at the centre of uh, an NBA drama, is it? But here we go, Kevin Durant saying to the owner of the Nets, if you don't get rid of Sean Marks and Steve Nash, then I want to be traded. And he's still got, I think he's still got three years or four years on his contract, Kevin Durant, so it's a big call to make. Um, And the owners actually come out and said, I back Sean Marks and Steve Nash fully. So um, they're not going to get the sack, so it's whether or not they trade KD. And if they don't, what does that mean? Does KD just refuse to play, do a bit of a Ben Simmons on them? You know, bit of a bit of an ankle injury that seems to last the rest of the season. But here's the other argument that you could probably make: if you send him out there to play and he gets injured, all of a sudden you can't trade him. Well, his trading stock goes down a lot. I mean, Kevin Durant's one of the best players in the league, right? You're going to get a lot of pieces if you trade him. Nev, I know you're a big um, you're a big basketball man. What do you? How do you sort of see the situation playing out? Oh, look, I think that for me, I was just saying to um, Rubes here uh, in the production box that teams understand what they have to give up to get KD mm. and he's a bit of a rental at the moment you can argue about his talent he's, for me he's still one of the best if not the best player in the league up there with Giannis mm-hmm. but if you're going to give up 6-7 picks to get a one year rental or someone who's going to dare I say it throw a tantrum and yes. try and uh, work his weasel way his, out at, his way out uh, it's not worth it for me because you're mortgaging your future essentially yeah. and I don't like it well it's interesting you bring that up right because Katie is one of those guys that um, because of where he, how he's acted over the years going you know from Golden State to uh, where did he go after Golden State did he go to the Nets from Golden State yep. yeah and then um, if he you know if, he, if this um, comes to pass and he goes to another team like you got, it's like Kyrie like why would you sign a guy that seems to be very temperamental and that you say might leave you after a year or two anyway. Look, yeah, I've got no time for it. Um, Draymond Green has made an interesting point about how he he's supports KD in saying that players are now businesses, they're not athletes, and, mm. and he's come out and said that this is the right move. Um, but from an organisational standpoint, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, if you look at what the Lakers have given up to get the so-called stars or injury-prone people that they have... Um, they are staring down the barrel of a shocking season and losing all their assets in a few years. Yeah, exactly. And then it's yeah in five years' time when they've got nothing and you know, they go back to last in the league. You raised two interesting points there, which I'm going to ask Alex about. Um, the first one is the power of players in the NBA. I think they're like some of the most powerful in the world. You know, like They get what they want Absolutely. when they make these demands. I mean, and they have a players' union that Chris yeah. Paul heads up. That's yep. unheard of in yep. a lot of sports. Yep. And then the other thing is the super teams. You know, 10 years ago, super teams 
mm. you know, almost unstoppable in the NBA when you look at the Heat and then going into um, Golden State. Um, but now you look at the Lakers, you look at the Nets who have these stacked rosters and it's not working. It's, no. it's, times have sort of moved on a little bit, I think, from that. They have. Super teams. they have, and I think that a lot of the focus is now not just on winning one or two titles. It's, okay, how can we replicate the San Antonio Spurs of the Golden State Warriors? Let's yeah. build through the draft, save money, get people on favorable contracts because you drafted them, and then try and sign free agents or trade for people when you're in a position to win. Sort of like, I, I believe that is how the Memphis Grizzlies are going about things at the moment. They're, yeah. they're a team that is not a free agent destination, but if you look at the young pieces they have they're on fire man look at you Niv you are a, uh, a basketball maestro we gotta, we got to utilise that more often the, the other thing that I find quite fascinating with the, the NBA but actually any of the salary capped um, competitions around the world is um it's su- it's such a hard balancing act. Like you say, you draft, you got the number one pick, you draft a superstar, right? Let, let's, for argument's sake, say, go back twenty years and it's LeBron James. You draft him number one. Um, you know, you give him his rookie contract, and then maybe you sign him on for three years, and you start building a team around him, and you start pulling in guys that are not top of the range. They are they they're guys that are maybe a mid tier, low tier. Get them cheap, and you're hoping that they'll turn into stars around LeBron James. But the problem is when they turn into stars, they start wanting more money. And then all of a sudden you can't afford them. And so then all of a sudden they start looking elsewhere or, you know, you get inflated egos. And it's actually such a hard balancing act in the NBA and and I'd argue in, like, you know, the NHL, but but in the NRL too. It's such a hard act to create a successful – and Penrith's a good example in the NRL. There's going to come a point in time within the next few years at Penrith where they can't keep all those players there. They all want more money. They've all developed. They've all become very good. Viliami Kikau, he's already leaving to go to the Bulldogs. You can't keep them together because of that sort of salary-capped competition, which makes it very hard to to make a dynasty that'll last 10 years, right? You're absolutely right, and that's why you have to respect these organisations that pull it off because it's yep. such a rarity. And, and you touched on a really good point there. It's not only that these athletes want more money because they become so good, it's that they want more of the ball. And when you have egos or when you have players that, they, you know, they, they need the rock or they need, they want it to shine, um, they're going to go elsewhere. They're going to demand out. James Harden, prime example. Yep. Um, and when you're not just managing money, you're managing personalities. And that's why I take my hat off to the Chicago Bulls in the 90s, Golden State Warriors now. Yeah, fantastic. There you go. Hey, so we're going to take, uh, talk with Alex Schiffer out of uh, the US, out of New York after two o'clock. We'll talk about all that stuff, which I'm very, very interested in. Um, but we're going to chat with Mitch McLennigan very, very shortly. We'll take a short break. Um, when we come back, we'll talk to him about Trent Bolt stepping away from his New Zealand cricket contract. Interested to hear what Mitch's thoughts on that are. We will find out after the break. Just a couple of texts quickly on double eight double three. what we were talking about before the break. Sean says the Melbourne Storm managed to keep their roster together in the late 2000s. Yeah, they are one of the teams that um, were able to manage those you know, those egos, the salaries, etc. Of course, they ran into salary problems, though, Sean. Let's not forget, 2009, okay? Um, so they're not 100% clean. And then someone said, um, you should chat to Don Tricker with the San Diego Padres and the balancing act with players, contracts, and egos. Yeah, he's a fantastic mind, um, the Kiwi Don Tricker. Um, so, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll try and get him on to talk about it. Um, but let's talk about Trent Bolt, the news this morning that he is walking away from his New Zealand cricket contract. Um, to spend more time with family and also explore opportunities overseas. A man who made a similar decision in 2017 um, was Mitch McLennigan. Mitch, who played uh, 48-odd ODIs, 29T20s for New Zealand, um, yeah, walked away from his contract in 2017, was labelled a gun for hire. And uh, he joins us on the line now. G'day, Mitch. 
G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, doing well, mate. Um, Mitch, just your first thoughts, I guess, when you uh, saw the news about Trent Bolt come through this morning. Uh, I've had a little bit of an inkling that it might have been coming. I know he's uh, just had a few murmurs. Just just had their, their third little baby boy, um, and I know. I mean, you got to you got to think from 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 Trent's point of view. He's been it's his first tour was to Australia when he was eighteen years old, mm. uh, fifteen years ago now. Uh, I know he's thirty three, uh, but I guess family's pretty important. And I, mate, I've just had my first child. It's hard enough, and I'm not even touring, mate. So <laughs> I can't imagine touring with three little boys boys sitting at home. And he, he's such a family man. So sounds like it's generally a, a family decision. Mm. You, I know when you made the decision back in 2017, you said it was one of the hardest of your life. What? What exactly are you giving up when you walk out on a on an NZC contract? Oh, to be honest, mate, I was talking shit at the time to still try to play for New Zealand. <laughs> 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 but honestly, it wasn't a tough decision, the position that I was in, so it's a little bit different. Like, I got told that, like, I was basically not going to play uh, any more one-day cricket and, and T20. There was only five T20s that year, and, and they were looking at breeding some newer people coming in. Uh, leading into two T20 World Cups. So, uh, different scenario. Uh, mine was to still kind of keep my name in the, in the frame, but mine was uh, opportunity and to go out and keep on playing cricket. Um, look, I, I think Trent's is a, a really fascinating situation. It's, uh, this is, if, if not, obviously, if you take Kane out of the equation and Saudi, I think he is probably our most valuable cricketer uh, at the moment for New Zealand cricket. So, I think in terms of uh, New Zealand cricket seems to be playing it off like it's a, it's a, uh, it's all, all fine and rosy. But uh, mate, this is going to be a massive hit. And and from the outside, the, the way I look at it, mate, is like uh, obviously family decisions with Trent. Um, but I've been watching New Zealand cricket and and, and also watching these tours overseas. And uh, I think there's going to have to be um, a few few guys really prop up um, out of out of the blue for us to have a good next five to five to eight years. And, and maybe Chains kind of felt like uh, the T20 World Cup coming up um, is probably his last opportunity to to really win a World Cup with New Zealand in the immediate future. And 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 maybe he's thinking like doesn't doesn't see much of a future with New Zealand or achieving uh, goals past that. Mm. Do you think speculation, obviously, Sam? Yeah, no, for sure, and and like no one, obviously, yeah, we I think everyone's in Trent's camp in the fact that you know family is the most important thing. Everyone can respect the decision. Do you think it's going to um, diminish his opportunities in the Black Caps? I know they favour picking players that are contracted first and foremost, but given that he is, like you said, one of the most important parts of that Black Caps team, do you think um, he'll see a lot less game time because of it? Uh I, I don't think so. I think I've, so obviously where uh, you had myself there, early doors um, basically got, got blacklisted. Um, and then you saw Colin Monroe do it and get blacklisted. Yeah. And then you saw Anton Devisic do it and get pulled from um, an A-tour, uh, obviously which hadn't been announced. And, and then and then there was the uh, shortage in terms of like seamers going into that World Cup and they decided to bring Adam Milne into the fray, um, who had made that decision to go overseas and play big bash. And I think that was the first sign that uh, their mindset had kind of changed, that um, there were white ball specialists out there who needed to get game time and get back playing and, and to be able to go and do these leagues as well. Because sitting on a domestic contract in New Zealand, is, it's not, not good for your kind of career <laughs> in terms of as well, like establishing yourself outside of cricket. So I think his him getting included in, uh, Adam Milne getting included in that World Cup squad um, has opened the door really for them to basically... They can choose whoever they want at whatever point in time, um, regardless, you know, depending on form, obviously. So 
I think if Trent if Trent wants to go to the T20 World Cup, we'll see him there. Uh, if he wants to go to the next one day uh, one day World Cup, we'll see him there. Um, outside of that, I think he'll just basically say when he's available and, and, and where he wants to play. And, and I, I guess he, he didn't go to Pakistan last year. Um, and I see the test tours with Pakistan over over summer this year. Um, obviously not a, a destination of choice uh, uh, from from past choices, I guess. So, and, and with the UAE league, this uh, it seems like they're trying to really compete with the with the all, all the IPL teams really buying into this new UAE league. Yeah, uh, I think that's big money, and for for, for someone like Trent to, to go away if if he is going to go to that league. Um, I see numbers thrown around six hundred fifty thousand um, Aussie. Chris Lynn is, is uh, uh, just signed for yesterday um, as a marquee player, just for a couple of oh, six weeks. So I think I think that's that's the stuff that's kind of really thrown the center in the works here as well. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Like you, you mentioned, Adam Milne there, and and yeah, even going back a couple of years ago, like you said, New Zealand cricket would basically blacklist these guys. But I'm trying to work out if if Trent is a unique case because you know he is our premier bowler in that Black Caps team, or whether New Zealand cricket are just realising that hey, this is the future. This is what's going to happen. Guys are getting offered this big money in domestic um, leagues overseas, and we're not going to be able to keep them if we throw these ultimatums at them. How much? I guess, is it a unique case because it's Trent Bolton? How much of it is New Zealand cricket just recognising that this is the way it's going to head? Well, I think I think they, they need to be really clear. New Zealand cricket needs to be really clear what, what precedent is and they need to come out and openly say that people can go and do this and not have their careers affected um, because you can only play 11 players at a time um, you know, for your country. And basically, there's not enough domestic cricket anymore to really kind of um, push your case um, at the moment to kind of force your way into that starting eleven. So guys have got to go and get better. I've always looked at the T20 stuff in terms of like uh, when I went, like you could play, I could sit at home and play domestic cricket and play um, eight to ten games of T20 um, over a summer, or I could go around the world and I could play 70 to 80 in a year. Mm. Um, and how quickly I could develop as a player. Um, you know, I could go tenfold with the best players and the best coaches in the world, which we don't have um, in New Zealand. So, uh, I think they be they need to draw a sand in a line and say, look, this is acceptable, and actually start trying to promote our players to go out and do this um, to really establish a strong player base because we're not going to be able to continue to develop just just through domestic cricket in New Zealand. So, I hope this is a really good sign for New Zealand cricket that um, Trent Bolt becomes an advocate of. Um, players being able to go and travel the world. Um, and I think at the end of it, if you do open it up, mate, if you actually genuinely open it up, I think we're going to get a better crop of players yep. um, who are available for New Zealand for pinnacle events. Totally, mate. And I think um, rugby sort of running into the same issue at the moment as well. How much value does it add um, to you as a player when you're trying to get a contract with some of these domestic teams overseas, um, them knowing that you're not going to be called away for international duties? Does that add a bit of value to your, to your stock? Um, it's re- it's really significant um, if you're in form. It purely just comes down to like form basis. Like uh, you're top of the crop if you're available for the whole thing. Um, you, you definitely are. But as well, like if you're not in form, it's nice to have that international cricket to fall back on if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because once you once you're out of the T20 circuit, you're basically out. 
Um, and the only way guys have got back into it is performing in international cricket. So it's going to be a new adventure for, for Trent as well, um, not having that consistent um, training base uh, or you know that consistent platform to go back if he's not performing. But Trent Bolt's one of the best players in the world, mate. So yeah. it's not like a, a Mitchell McLeanigan going and doing it and then not <laughs> performing. You know, his name's going to carry him for a very long time, mate. So he's going to be fine. Uh, um, mate, I know you're you know obviously you're close with a lot of the boys and, and still guys in the setup and. You know, I'm not asking you, asking you to um, mention names or anything, but do you think there's other guys in the team that would be feeling the same as Trent, but maybe didn't you want to take the leap of faith? Do you think there's others in that setup that w- would do the same if they got given the chance? Uh, currently, um, I guess I, I, I look. I'm not entirely sure. I guess you, you've got to look at people who are in the same position as, as Trent. I guess the only only people I think are coming to that point where they might look at doing that is someone like a. A Saudi who's who's towards that um, back end of his career, even though he's still young, um, his his value is really high now at the moment. Um, but I feel just just by watching how t- uh, Saudi's gone about his cricket lately, in terms of leadership and all that kind of stuff, I feel like he's he'll be looking to to break records. Mm. Um, so I think you might see him available for New Zealand a bit longer. Outside of that, look, mate, um, it's a pretty rogue crop of. Um, young cricketers coming through. There's <laughs> <So, laughs> a mixture of personalities, mate. Uh, you know, and as you know, like everyone who's, uh, you know, any younger employees nowadays, mate, they've all got a mind of their own. So, yep. Yep. so uh, you know, it could change, uh, could change um, before 11am or after 11am. Who knows, mate? <laughs> Who knows? That's true. So, yeah. It'll be interesting to see see what happens over the next bit. Yeah, and it, and it is interesting. We're talking about guys that are, you know, like mentioned towards the end of their careers. It's it's be interesting to see if there's a you know a young gun who makes this decision. Um, you know, maybe early on in their career. That's um, I guess where the real uh, proof will lie. Um, you talked about Tim Southey. Do you reckon Trent, if he had kept going for New Zealand, might have got close to Paddle's record? Oh, look, I, I think they both. I think they would have both gone down as as our best, our highest wicket takers. Uh, of all time, definitely. Mm. And, you know, that, that might not be um, out of the realm of possibility for, for Trent. You know, you never know. This might be a short-term thing. Um, you never know if in a couple of years' time, if there's, you know, he's um, decided he's done this and, and the, the kids are a little bit older and he wants to refocus on test cricket or, or whatever, uh, you know, he might, he might make a comeback and, and push for that. Um, so you just never know, mate. These things may not last long. Um, sounds like it's time with the family at the moment, which I, I think is an admirable decision, particularly three young boys, mate. Um, leaving your wife at home, <laughs> that's, yep. that's, that's pretty tough work. <laughs> yeah, and uh, look, uh, you just have to look at James Anderson um, to see what you can do when you're uh, when you're basically 40 years old. Um, just quickly, mate, uh, West Indies, that uh, series kicks off tomorrow morning uh, in the Caribbean. You're going to be getting up for that, watching the boys? Uh, well, I'll be I'll be up. <laughs> You'll be up feeding the kid, won't you? I'll be working. <laughs> um, uh, but that's going to be an interesting series. Like, there's um, that's a really really difficult place to go. Um, I know I know the Indians have gone over there at about four one, but they're used to spinning conditions. And there's uh, I guess uh, when I was at St Lucia, Mark Chapman came over who, who dominated in domestic cricket, and he had a horrible tournament. Um, got dropped after four games, could barely yeah. hit the ball off the square. Um, it's it's not it's not conducive for stroke play. Um, it's really really tough spinning conditions, um, and you've got to be able to have power. It's it's a it's a boundary it's a boundary hitting um, game in the West Indies. It's not a nudge it around. It's, 
and have ones and twos and, and think you can hit yourself out of trouble uh, if you don't have the strength. So uh, it's going to be a fascinating tour, mate. Uh, and that, I guess that's why they, they picked a, a strong side um, with a bit more experience. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how people are, like our, our boys adapt in those situations and those conditions because they're, they're incredibly foreign to us. Mm, it's going to be uh, very fascinating to watch and listen to on SCNZ, Mitch. So if you're uh, in the car, mate, make sure you've got the, the dial tuned into SCNZ. Uh, thanks, Heats, for joining us, my friend. I uh, always appreciate you coming on. Uh, go well. We'll uh, catch up again soon. Easy, brother. There you go. Mitch McLeanigan there. Um, some really interesting thoughts from him. Um, if you want to react, you can give us a call 0800 150 811. Is this the future for New Zealand cricket? Um, letting guys just go over and play overseas and still being selected for the Black Caps. Um, TBC on how much uh, Black Caps cricket uh, Trent Bolt was going to get over the next few years. Um, just a quick text on double eight double three from Sean. Uh, said that his text was tongue, tongue in cheek about the Melbourne Storm. I should have picked that up, Sean. That's my bad. That's my bad. Um, let's get a news break away with Johnny Mack and then we'll go to the TAB. Paul Moate on the line, but news first. I'll tell you what. That music uh, has me feeling very Caribbean ahead of the West Indies, New Zealand, tomorrow morning at 6.30. Joining us from the TAB now is uh, Paulie Mawati. Uh, remember, you can bet live on your all your favourite sports. Just download the TAB app. Uh, g'day, Mo. Yeah, g'day, Sam. How are you? I'm doing very well, mate. I'm doing very well. What are we looking at uh, today and tomorrow? I imagine the... Uh... Oh, have I got you there, Paul? Yeah, you're back. I got yeah, you, you for a minute. We're back. Must yeah. be the uh, must be the Caribbean reception, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are we What are we looking at today and tomorrow? Imagine NBL and uh, the cricket tomorrow morning, six thirty. First uh, T Twenty between the Black Caps and West Indies. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're currently got the West Indies at two dollar thirty outsider up against the Black Caps at a dollar fifty six. The dollar fifty six hasn't scared off punters. They're uh, jumping in with both hands and, and taking that. They, I, I guess. They saw enough in the, those build-up series uh, against Scotland and Ireland. Um, a nice little stepping stone before they head to the West Indies. Uh, and so a lot of multis containing the Black Caps to win at $1.56. And you did mention Sales NBL playoff time. And we've got a Sales NBL bonus bucket promotion. Oof. Just place a pre-match bet of $10 or more on... Uh, any of those sales NBL finals games, the ones before the grand final, so the four games before the grand final, place a pre-match bet of $10 or more and receive a $10 bonus bet to use on the grand final. So uh, obviously your SENZ Nuggets play the Hawks at 6 o'clock tonight. You put a $10 or more bet on that, you'll get a $10 bonus bet on Saturday morning. Um, you can also put a $10 or more bet on the Saints game against the Tuatara, uh, and you'll get a, another 10 Well, we'll join them all together. So you can have four qualifying bets over those four games, and if you do that, you'll get a $40 bonus bet on Saturday morning to place on the grand final. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Definitely jump on that. Paulie, I know you're a big uh, you're a big NRL man, and I'm just looking ahead to this weekend. There are some very tasty fixtures. Uh, Penrith and Melbourne, uh, t- uh, the Thursday night game. Then you've got Parramatta, South Sydney, and uh, the Roosters and the Cowboys, which is the most interesting one to me because you've got the Roosters as pretty heavy favourites. Yeah, they're $1.68, uh, and I guess... It's not surprising. We've taken some money on the North Queensland Cowboys, who are currently two dollars and thirteen cents to win that match. Of course, they had to come back. Uh, they had to come from behind to beat the Bulldogs 
last weekend, but looked very, very good once they sort of knuckled down to their job and, and kept the Bulldogs scoreless for a good part of that second half. So they look very, very good. Um, you haven't mentioned the Warriors. Uh, as probably because <laughs> For we've, a taken money on the, <laughs> we've, we've been taking money on the Bulldogs. They're now $1.56. They opened up at $1.65 earlier this week, uh, and they've been tightening to $1.56 just on the back of the support that we've had for the Bulldogs to come into Mount Smart on Friday night and uh, take the points away from the Warriors, who have now drifted out to $2.35. You, you, you've named a number of big, big games. The Panthers, of course, up against the Storm. Panthers are favourite there. $1.57, of course, they don't have their number one halves pairing. Doesn't, that doesn't scare off the punters, though. They no. get stuck into the Panthers at one fifty-seven, And the Rabbitohs, who, well, it was almost like a training run last weekend, they're $1.61. Up against the Eels, who have their own halves dilemma, uh, although they didn't go too badly last week, coming back, another team to come from behind and upset and and beat the uh, Manly Sea Eagles. So there's money for the Eels to do the same thing this week, money for the Panthers, and a lot of money for the Bulldogs. Mm, it's interesting, the um, yeah, Melbourne obviously with, without Jerome Hughes too, so they've got the, the halves are dropping like flies at the moment. Um, and look, Paulie, I know I, I, the punters are probably heading in the right direction with the Bulldogs, but I will say that the Warriors so far this season play their best football at home, don't they? The Tigers win and then against the Storm, despite losing, um, you'd argue that it was one of their better performances. So uh, who knows? You never know. Friday night at Mount Smart, anything can happen. Exactly. 235, it's there for the taking. If not, (laughs) if you think they can keep it close, how about taking the Warriors plus four and a half at $1.90? Not bad. Surely they can keep it to within an unconverted try. Yeah, that's not bad, Paulie. Um, Appreciate you coming on as always, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Cheers, Sam. There you go. Uh, Paulie Mawati from the TAB there. As I said, bet live on your favourite sports. Just download the TAB app. Oh, the NRL this weekend. Um, The good thing is those odds are good because they're hard to pick. Um, which means there is money to be made if you can uh, if you can pick correctly. That that Penrith Melbourne game is going to be very interesting tomorrow night. Um, running it straight between three and four, me and Kempi will go through all the games this weekend and cast our eye over them to see um, who we think might get up. And uh, I know he's got some pretty passionate opinions about um, Elisa Katoa as well being let go by the Warriors to go to the Storm of all places. And we all know what's going to happen there, don't we? He'll turn into a superstar, I bet. Uh, we'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to find out what's making news. Ladies and gentlemen, I've I've just just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Well, let's find out, shall we? Uh, Producer Niv in the hot seat today, mate. What have you What have you found in the doldrums of the internet? Oh, look, mate, quite a lot. And this is a collaborative effort between Neeps and I, but so credit where credit's due. Sure. But promise I'm not making this up. Uh, Kenyan presidential candidate George Wajakaya has based his campaign on marijuana and hyena testicles. Thoughts? <laughs> immediate thoughts, Sam. What was it? Which country? Uh, Kenya. Kenya. Yeah. Presidential campaign. Yeah. Um, um, well, you've got to tell me more about it. Like It's what he's basing it on. But what does it mean? Uh, so, look, he's not winning the polls, but he is winning the hearts of media and the minds of young voters. Um, <laughs> and his plan, he calls it the Ganja Solution. And okay. his, his plan is to erase Kenya's 70 billion US dollar public debt um, by creating cannabis farms and exporting hyena testicles to China, where they are considered a delicacy. Really? Hyena uh, testicles? Okay. It's not, not really my sort of master plan, but uh, more look. power to him. 
you got to give them credit for going after just two things. You know, like that's it's efficiency. Yeah. You know, two two big pillars, and you just run hard on them. It's just an interesting two pillars. Um, the marijuana thing's interesting. I mean, that'll bring them a lot of money for sure. Um, and I'm not sure what the climate is like in Kenya for growing uh, the devil's lettuce, but. Oh, they, they they grow tea, so surely they? yeah, they must big, be big able to. Okay, yeah, big, yeah. big tea growers, and um, uh, yeah, look, I, I, they're not very good at tax collections. I'm not sure how they're going to collect. Um, <laughs> co- <laughs> oh, that's great! His dream is actually to burn some uh, marijuana in the presidential office, and yeah, I um, think this is a um, personal policy rather than a, a public one. Yeah, for yeah, I think it is a personal policy. Now, speaking of burning, a Utah man has been accused of causing a wildfire by burning a spider with a lighter. Cody Allen Martin, age 26, told deputies he spotted the spider on Monday while he was in a hiking area in the foothills south of Salt Lake City and acknowledges starting the fire um, just by setting it alight. How big's the fire gone? Like, is it one of those big, you know, forest fires now that the whole state has to be evacuated, or...? I don't think it's quite that level, but it was serious enough because... Um, well, it's making your news. It's making the news. You know? And uh, the, the sergeant said that, you know, he didn't start it intentionally, therefore it's not arson, but he couldn't explain such a stupid decision because it's so dry in Utah at the moment that it just set a massive blaze. It's a convenient excuse. Um, like, if he did start it doing something else then it's easy to blame it on a spider. Um, have you seen on Netflix um, the, the TV show Man vs. B with Rowan Atkinson? I have. I love it. I've watched it twice, actually. Have you? Yeah, <laughs> you watched yeah, yeah. it twice. <laughs> it's only... The, the episode's are like 10 minutes, so yeah. when you watch... I think there's 10. You know, it, it's basically like a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was weirdly intrigued by it like it it was pretty dry it's Rowan Atkinson who I do enjoy but it's pretty slapstick mm-hmm. but it, I just kept watching it and um, I think it's a similar situation here with the with the bee slash spider um, except he used a flamethrower he did he oh, did yeah. uh, and that was fully intentional um, <laughs> that was fully intentional so uh, look if you haven't watched Man vs Bee um, I'm the plug go watch it it's it's very good um, now, speaking of spreading like wildfire, gee, you're so, on fire, mate. So speaking was, of fire, speaking you're on of fire, fire, so was the hype around Top Gun Maverick. Now, yeah, I, look, I um, confess I haven't watched it. Now, what I wanted to do was watch the old, the original, which I've already seen, but I wanted to watch it again and then go to the movies to watch Maverick. Me too. But I, but I just got away from me, and now I don't think it's at the movies anymore. But continue. Oh, oh. Firstly, I'm in the same boat as you. I had the same plan, and I just didn't get around to it. You watched the first one? Uh, yeah, but when I was a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that classic thing. Your dad loves it, puts it on yeah. a Sunday night. But, um, yeah, never haven't seen it since, and I missed, I missed Maverick. Um, and you know who else missed Maverick was Sir Lewis Hamilton missed out on his spot in the movie. Did he? Oh, okay. He was supposed to be in Top Gun Maverick, um, but had to turn it down due to driving commitments. Now, I'm not sure it's if you... excuse. <laughs> That's no excuse. Especially the way that car's going. But anyway, um, I'm not sure if you saw to- uh, Tom Cruise was... Um, yeah, uh, I yeah. saw him at um, the Miami Grand Prix, was it? Yeah, that, well, yeah, must be, yeah, must be. I think it was the Miami Grand Prix. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think the F1 calendar has just got in the way. And so, you know... Um, it's a stacked calendar, man. Yeah. But they're off for a month now, aren't they? They're, they they're are going that summer month. break um, that they take. But um, other than that, it's like every weekend, basically, and... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's high demand. So uh, forgiven. Yeah, Lewis, it's Lewis. forgiven. But yeah. there's a month off, and Tom Cruise isn't he filming the new Mission Impossible movie? Okay, so yeah, was a replacement role. Yeah, there yeah, you go. If it didn't feature in Top Gun. Why don't you come do MI? What is it? MI twelve oh, now? Who knows? Um, now. I heard great things about Maverick. Like it got really good reviews compared to the original. Was actually not that great a film. Like 
I say this, I love it, like mm-hmm. everyone else does. It's like a pop icon and a cultural icon, but as a standalone film, like it's not actually that good. Um, but the new one, people are absolutely raving about, and people that hadn't seen the original. So... It yeah. is on the list. And, it's on the list. And what I've heard is that people are just sick and tired of um, sci-fi blockbusters, like your Marvels, your DCs. Okay, yeah, fair. They call this the return of the true action blockbuster. That's oh, what they're calling look at, it. Look at you, a little bit of a film critic there. Yeah. Oh, no, not me, mate. I haven't seen it. Um, no, but, you know, you, you've thrown out some terms there oh, that make look, you sound I'm in very tune official. With the, I'm in tune with the youth. You're um, also sporting a, a fantastic... Um, Vintage Scotland football jersey. Uh, it's sort of pink and um, teal and blue, and uh, we, it comes from was it the eighties? Yeah, nineteen eighty-eight, mate. Uh, thanks for mentioning it. Um, I, I, you know, I was getting a lot of lot of attention for it when I walked in. Um, no more so from Ricardo Ball, who was like, I didn't know it was dressed like a, do- a jockey day at SCNZ today. <laughs> it does look like a jockey. Yeah, it does. It I really know. does. Absolutely. Uh, do you want a fact of the day, Sam? I always do. Oh. I love my facts. All right, here we go. Here we go. This is Neeps' facts of the day. Why was Google Images made? Google Images was created after J-Lo, that's Jennifer Lopez, wore that infamous dress at the 2000 Grammys. So many people were searching for her outfit that the search engine added an image function. Wow. There what a fact from Neeps. Yeah. He's ducked off to help out with the Royal Roundup, but um, he's done a fantastic job there. So 2000 J-Lo, too many people searching, that's why we've got images. Makes sense to me. Yeah, 100%. I'll uh, throw a fact back at you. Do it. Do you know why buses are painted yellow? Did you hear this yesterday when I talked about it in the no, office? No. Why school buses are painted yellow? I don't. Um, that's because yellow is the, the fastest color to reach your eyes. Wow. Yeah. So, Look at you. A little uh, bit of a science reaches nerd, your you? eyes after, I think, 1.2 seconds as opposed to 1.6 seconds from the color red. So that's why school buses are, are painted yellow. That's a really good fact. Safety first, isn't Safe, that right, safety Sam? Safety first. There you you always telling me that. That's a great What's Making News. On debut, on debut, uh, was the young Niv. Thanks, Brilliant. mate. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to play What Happens Next a little bit earlier than we normally do because uh, obviously we're only going until 3 o'clock today, running it straight between 3 and 4, myself and Kempi. Um, so we're going to push forward What Happens Next, and we will do that next. What Happens Next. Yeah, big thanks to Gull, uh, fueling your mission all year round. And it's time to play What Happens Next. I think we've got Neeps back in the studio, Neeps. Uh, hey. What have we got? G'day, mate. Uh, we've got 12 seconds. This one was actually put together by uh, Navit because uh. I was very busy with the Rural Roundup. The Big Show. The, the Big, big show. show from 12 to 1. Um, okay, so $50 TB bonus bet up for grabs on double eight double three, the Temper Bear Post text machine if you can text through. And tell us what happens after this. Only a few corners to go now, and desperation starts to creep in for Lewis Hamilton. Raikkonen's third, and that's, is that Glock? Is that Glock going slowly? It is, that's it's Glock. Glock! I know it, I know it well. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I know it well. I thought it was going to be one of two things, Niv, yeah. um, but then that Glock at the end, that's sealed the deal. Yeah, good. I'm glad that you know it. You're a true fan. You're a true <laughs> fan. I'm very much a plastic fan, mate. I'm a drive to survive oh, convert. And, one uh, of those. Yeah, it's this is my first year actually of, of properly following the Formula One, and I'm absolutely loving it. But um, text through double eight double three. What happens after that? Is play one more time, Neeps? Ah, uh, yeah. Here you go. Here's your first part. Only a few corners to go now, and desperation starts to creep in for Lewis Hamilton. Raikkonen's third, and that's is that Glock? Is that Glock going slowly? It is. That's it's Glock. Glock. Yeah, 
Good Definitely idea. Know. Yep. Double eight, double three. Um, if you've got an idea, um, Kimmy Räikkönen as well. I watched a video. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Popped up on my social media of Kimmy Räikkönen and Sebastian Vettel in a car together, and he's driving the car without a clutch, or like not using the. He's not allowed to use the clutch, and he drives the car around track. I don't even know how it works, but he did it. Um, and that is the genius of Kimi Raikkonen. Um, Niv, you know you know how that happened? Uh, no, I don't, but I think I saw you doing it in your Mazda Demio on Saturday <laughs> night. But you drive a manual, don't you, Sam? I, I do, mate. I did try. I did try. I wasn't as successful as, uh, as a Formula 1 champion like Kimi Raikkonen, but I gave it a go. Um, double eight, double three, if you know what happens next, and you could be in to win a $50 bonus bet from the TAB. Coming up after 2 o'clock, we will chat with Alex Schiffer out of the United States, the Athletic. The Brooklyn Nets, Sean Marks and Kevin Durant. What on earth is going on there? Um, we're going to talk to an expert to find out. We're also going to play the chase, people. Between two and three, your chance to take down the chase and write yourself in the history books. We do it at around about 2.40, so keep your ears peeled for that. I know you guys all love it and you'll want to call in. Um, so plenty more to come between two and three before we do running it straight. Myself and Kempi. But first, we'll just get away with some news uh, with Johnny Mack. Welcome back in uh, to the afternoon show. Three minutes after two here on SCNZ. Sam Hewitt taking you through until three o'clock before running it straight from three to four, myself and Kempe. Uh, and I'm in the chair all week, Staffy away, and then Stephen McIver's in the chair next week. There you go, keeping you updated. Um, don't forget as well, tonight uh, we've got live commentary of the NBL preliminary final and then the finals tomorrow night. So uh, a big couple of nights of basketball action for you live on SCNZ. Um, that should be an absolute cracker. Can't wait to hear all the crew uh, involved with that. And then live commentary of the Warriors on Friday night from Mount Smart. Myself, Kempi, and Pitt Morris on the sideline. Um, Bulldogs, Warriors, Mount Smart, 8 o'clock. So that's going to be a cracker. So good co- And cricket, of course, tomorrow morning. West Indies, Black Caps. We have a stack of live commentary coming at you here on ECNZ. That's just brilliant. Uh, we're going to tidy up what happens next. Um, just for the people that have joined us, uh, Neeps, do you want to play part one for us? Yes, I sure can, Sam. Here is your first part. If it's going to... Only go. a few corners to go now, and desperation starts to creep in for Lewis Hamilton. Raikkonen's third, and that's... Is that clock? Is that clock going slowly? It is, that's it's clock! Yep, so um, I think this is um, Lewis Hamilton's first world championship. I think it was in 2008. Um, you, would be, you would be correct. Is it, um, is it in Brazil? Was it the Brazilian Grand Prix? It is, at Interlagos um, in Brazil. Yeah, and it was uh, Timo Glock who, it was the last lap, and everyone thinks that he slowed down on purpose. I think I even read something recently where he denies that he did it on purpose, but he basically slows down. Lewis Hamilton passes him. I think he finishes... Fourth, fifth or fourth? Good, fifth. Nice. And fifth, and that um, in doing so gives him the championship by like, is it like one point? Was it over Kimi Raikkonen? It was over Felipe Massa. That's, That's why right. it was crazy because Massa yeah. was racing in front and of his the, home crowd. Correct. Yeah, I, yeah, damn. I mean, I obviously don't, I wouldn't have been a Formula One fan back then, but um, definitely heard about it over the years and became accustomed to it after Drive to Survive. But um, that's what I'm going for. 
Neeps, and I th- I've just opened up the text machine, and there are some uh, similar guesses along the same path. So let's. Uh, yeah, even uh, Chris has said Timo lets Lewis pass in the Brazil GP in 2008. Break right. out the X Files music. Here's yeah. your final part. All right. It's not. Only a few corners to go now, and desperation starts to creep in for Lewis Hamilton. Raikkonen's third, and that's, is that Glock? Is that Glock going slowly? It is, that's it's Glock. Glock! Oh my goodness me, Hamilton's back in position again. A million, a hundred thousand local hearts sink in the grandstands. It's handed the place back to Hamilton. He comes through, and if I'm absolutely right, I'm sure that he is going to claim fifth place, which is all he needs to do to become yes. the 2008 Formula One world champion, Lewis Hamilton, and you will... Well, the, the Ferrari boys are celebrating, but they, they both think they, they, they won, but Ferrari are wrong. Ferrari are wrong. They're absolutely no, wrong. wrong. Hamilton's guys. finished Glock. fifth. You will never see a more dramatic conclusion to any motor race, let alone a Grand Prix, than that. And the result of it all is that Lewis Hamilton is the world champion. Unbelievable. Well done, Sam. Yeah, and I'm just, I found that article that I had read, and it was, um, and Glock made a, a very interesting revelation of that. Um, so they pitted for tyres earlier, and they didn't think they were going to last in the race. He couldn't pit late in the race because they had set up the pit lane basically for the celebrations, for the podium celebrations. And so the team basically radioed and said, you, you can't, you're not going to be able to come in. And so he was losing a lot of speed going around those final laps. He, they've always thought that he did it on purpose, and he even said that he got like death threats and he had to be escorted to the airport when he flew home and police escort because the Brazilian fans were just incessant. Yeah, um, Sam, and uh, look, there's a lot of conspiracy theories coming through in the text and with F1 fans in general about this, but one thing that I think mm. people forget is that um, Lewis Hamilton almost won the 2007 World Championship in his debut season. He was a real racer, and like Ferrari is letting down Leclerc right now, his team actually let him down in 2007. Yeah, well, he won his first Grand Prix, was it in 2007, Canadian Grand Prix? Was yep. that in 07, or was it earlier? Might have been a little bit earlier, but... um. No denying he's a good driver, Niv, but would he have won that World Championship? Had um, Timo Glock even just challenged him a little bit and raced him on that final lap? Absolutely know, not. He, it was the last corner. He the, had to. It was the last. Was, it was the last corner was of the, the last, last race. It was. It was. It was a bit of luck, and the stars aligned for him. I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, not for Lewis or for anyone else in terms of it being that close. I think uh, Max uh, Verstappen will run away with it. Um, what do you reckon? Are you you are a Ferrari fan like me, aren't you? Oh yeah, I grew up. We 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 support Ferrari. Um, but um, uh, yeah, there's no way this comes back. Uh, that that um, Leclerc can come back from this. Um, there's only been uh, um, a similar deficit overturned, uh, but that was under very unusual circumstances um, when James Hunt beat Nicky Lauda. Um, I think it was 1986. I could be wrong, but that was because Nicky Lauda crashed out and missed a few races, which oh, allowed Hunt to, to regain and close gee, the gap. Gee, look at you, Niv. You are an encyclopedia of knowledge, aren't you? Um, let's give you the uh, the Bailey's property of the week. We like to do that on a Wednesday after two o'clock. Um, our good folks at Bailey send us through a little something something. Um, for you to dip your toes in if you are so inclined. And this one here is located in the picturesque Waikiki Valley. Away from the hustle and bustle, okay, of the city life, which I'm well used to. Um, it's the perfect private and peaceful lifestyle property for those looking to move into the country. Okay. Uh, Sandra Rollinson, Bailey's Rotorua, she's the one bringing us the house today. It's a pretty large home, 410 Tewita Road, Waikiki Valley. 
So you can type that into your Google search engine. It's on um, basically a hectare of land. Um, double garage, power double garage, I should say. Tree line driveway, that's my dream. Apple trees lined to the driveway. Um, five bay implement shed and fenced into approximately six paddocks. This has really wet my appetite. Um, the house itself, and this is the one that you really want to look at. Uh, this is the part you want to look at the most, isn't it? Five bedrooms, two bathrooms, modern kitchen, three living rooms. Three living rooms! You can have Formula One in one room, basketball in the other, and the rugby in, in the third one. Um, an upstairs, and one upstairs room looking out across the, the Piedor Ranges. Generous size, separate laundry, large decking upstairs and down, partially covered, allowing for all year-round outside entertaining with a wood-burning fire, gas fire and built-in heaters and there's space to grow your veggies. I can't, I'm not going to lie to you, this sounds like my dream property. Um, the local Waikiki Valley and Ngakuru Primary Schools are minutes away and the, uh, of course the hot pools, the squash club and the golf club are 10 minutes away. So guys, this is... Of all the properties we've bought you, this might be the best. Um, you've got to head to baileys.co.nz forward slash 245 0943. 245 0943. Punch that into your, uh, into your browser and go have yourself a look at that. It's almost too good to be true. There you go. That's from the folks at Bailey's. They give us property every Wednesday. Um, we'll take a short break. Eh? When we come back, we're going to go over to the US, talk with Alex Schiffer out of The Athletic. He's a beat writer for the Brooklyn Nets. He's across all uh, happenings at the organisation, including this the beef between Kevin Durant and Sean Marks, which has taken place over the last few days. August is usually pretty quiet in American sport. Not at the moment. So we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll chat with Alex out of the US. Welcome back in, and we're going to talk some NBA now. Sean Marks and Kevin Durant, an interesting situation developing with them over in the US, in New York, for the Brooklyn Nets. And joining us now from probably one of my favourite sports publications online, it is The Athletic. He's a Brooklyn Brooklyn Nets beat writer, Alex Schiffer, and he joins the show this afternoon. Uh, Afternoon to you, Alex. Thanks for having me, man. I always like jumping on with the Kiwis. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, talk us through exactly what the situation here is between Kevin Durant, Sean Marks, and the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, um, I mean, end of June, right before free agency started, Kevin Durant requests a trade out of Brooklyn without really giving a reason why. Uh, Still really hasn't given a reason why, at least publicly. And then this past Saturday, before he took in a Travis Scott concert, with former Net James Harden, um, he had a meeting with Nets ownership Joe Sy, and he essentially doubled down on the trade request and said, if you want to keep me, you have to fire Sean Marks and Steve Nash. And shortly after that report got out by my colleague Sean Sharania, Joe Sy tweeted that the coaching staff in front office have his back and they'll make the uh, best decision uh, with, for the interest of the Nets. So that's kind of where we are today. Mm. So you mentioned that um, that he had requested the trade back in June. You're, you're obviously someone who follows the team very, very closely. Was there any, I guess, sign of, of discontent from KD maybe during last season? Anything that would hint towards him wanting to, to leave the organization? Yeah, I mean, the, the Kyrie Irving vaccination situation obviously did not help their chances for, uh, for the title at all with Kyrie only playing 29 games. You know, that's factored into James Harden wanting a trade out to the 76ers. But, you know, Kevin has backed Steve and Ke- and Kyrie and, and taken a lot of bullets himself throughout all that. So 
I mean, I think he was discontent when talking to us. He was discontent with how the season went, mm. but he was not pinning the blame at any of the people in question. Mm. I mean, back here in New Zealand, Sean Marks, you know, he's held obviously in very high regard. We're very proud of our Kiwis doing big things overseas. And I know people that we've spoken to on this show about the Nets over the years have had high praise for what he's done in Brooklyn. But what's the general attitude outside of what KD's been saying, Alex? Do people still think that Sean Marks has done a good job in Brooklyn as the man for the job? Yeah, you know, I think that there uh, it's been some interesting polls on Twitter since the report came out of would you rather have Kevin or, uh, or Sean and Steve and I mean, I, I think it'd be unprecedented for a sports owner to fire everybody in basketball operations between ownership and the roster, essentially, with a front office and coaching staff to cater to one player. Mm. I mean, I, I think Sean himself would tell you that the expectations, uh, the championship or bust expectations they've had the past two seasons haven't gone anywhere near where they want. But I, I also think he's been dealt a tough hand and has tried to do the most of what he could. And also, you know, he was giving Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving say in the roster, which sometimes handicaps what he wanted to do to keep those guys happy. And, and clearly, no matter what he did, it wasn't enough. So, you know, I, I think Sean's one of the best GMs in the end. I still think that. But it's been such a wild ride these past few years. I, I can see the fan frustration. But, uh, but, I mean, Sean's not going anywhere. He's continued to do a good job. And I, I do think that um, that – how this looks on the other side of this post trade and everything. And, and really this Kevin Durant trade itself will probably be the biggest thing that, that Sean does and the organization does, and they have to get it right. So that's where the pressure is on him. Probably. Do you, th- so from your understanding, do you think they, they are happy to trade him or, or is it a matter of them, a bit of a standoff? They don't want to trade him. He doesn't want to, I guess, play if Sean Marks and Steve Nash are there. What would happen in that regard? Like, would he refuse to play? How do you sort of see it all playing out? That to me, that's the million dollar question. I mean, we don't really know the answer to that. You know, Sean and Steve aren't expected to address the media for about another month. Um, but the Nets are going to wait out a Kevin trade until they get the the return they want, which is obviously going to be very large. Mm. And the you know what they do is going to be fascinating. I mean, Kevin's been hurt for most of the last two seasons. Do you sideline him yourself and make the decision for him? Because if he goes out there and gets hurt his value goes down, but also having him out there while it be a reality show puts people in the stand, makes them more competitive, et cetera. And Kevin Durant's not known to not play. So it's going to be interesting to see how this gets handled. There's really no, I mean, it's too early for that really any indication, but it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating because I think both sides have a good argument, right? The, The ticket office and putting people in seats, but also looking out for the best interest for the trade return, whatever it may come. What, how's KD sort of held in Brooklyn? Are the fans, you know, KD lovers? Do they respect him and, and like seeing him in a, in a Nets jersey? Yeah, I mean, he, he's arguably the greatest player to ever put on a Nets jersey. Uh, I mean, he's one of the best scorers ever. Some telemarketer is calling my house. Ignore the background. <laughs> um, uh, and I, uh, I definitely think that he's he's... His game is beloved, but I, you know there's been so much drama, and, and especially this request. I think that there are some people wondering: Is he ever? What? What can they possibly do to make him happy, given the, everything they've already done? Yeah, what, we talk a bit about um, player power quite often in sport, and it seems like the NBA players, you know, almost sit at the top of the tree when it comes to that around the world. How much um, power do the players hold? Because you know they so often get what they want in the NBA, don't they? 
I, I definitely think the star ones do, but you know, you mentioned NBA players having the most, you know, NBA is the smallest rosters, right? It's hard to do that on a football team when there's, you know, over 50 guys, baseball, a lot of positions. So I, I think it's kind of just the way the sport was invented and, and the, the nature of it that kind of makes that the case. Mm. But, you know, I think to keep these stars happy, you kind of have to appease them a bit and, and give them some say in things you normally wouldn't. That's just kind of the age we're in. But, I mean, doing this and, and firing Sean and Steve would be unprecedented. And to me, it would set a really bad record going forward because, I mean, the, the more you show these the guys the power they can have, the less you have of your own. So, hypothetically, firing Sean and Steve, I mean, what, what happens to the star players after Kevin Durant that come in and expect to have the keys to the kingdom and all of these personnel decisions? Um, I think it sets a very bad precedent. What about um, Steve Nash? You know, obviously as the coach, and, and last season the Nets had one of those rosters that people genuinely thought was going to win the league. I know I had them um, as favourites. You know, James Harden, Blake Griffin, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, the, the, the names go on. Um, and obviously it didn't work for them, you know, um, finishing, I think, seventh in the Eastern Conference and, um, yeah, disappointing all round. Steve Nash's name is getting thrown about by Kevin Durant. Is he, do you feel like he's the right co- coach for the Nets? Do you think he's the one that is going to, you know, potentially lead them to a title? I mean, it, it first it comes down to the roster he has and who's on it when it comes to the title aspirations. You know, I think, honestly, the jury's out on Steve a little bit as a coach just because look at everything he's dealt with these past few years. He's had a ton of injuries, a ton of attrition, vaccine mandates to deal with. You know, he hasn't had the ability to have a roster from the day one of the season that's roughly the same when, it, when the season ends. So that's why this year was going to be a huge year for him regardless of the trade, just to kind of see what he can do with a healthy roster. Can he make a difference? Does he impact winning? What does he do development-wise in some of these guys? But he ha- he's only had so much of that opportunity because of all the injuries around him. So I-, I think the jury's kind of out on Steve Nash fully as a coach, even though he's above 500 and his brother in the playoffs both years. Mm. We, uh, we went through a period of super teams in the NBA when you think of you know LeBron and Dwayne Wade at the Heat and then Golden State, obviously, with, with Steph, Clay, KD. And it seemed to work 10 years ago. But I guess now you look at teams like the Nets, um, the Lakers as well, who also assembled a pretty pretty good team last year. It almost seems like the super team strategy might have lost a bit of its, um, of its success, um, Alex. What, do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. It's a good question. When you look at the Celtics, right, they just have two stars and a bunch of good role players. I I think, for one thing, the talent at the NBA is at its all-time high. That's why there's some rumblings about expansion coming, because the basketball has become such a big sport in the country to where it seems like they have the talent to field competitive rosters beyond the 30 teams. And I I definitely think that's been a part of it, too, where there's definitely more talent spread out around the league. And, you know, I think LeBron being older, too, it's not like he's the automatic trip to the finals that it was in the heart of his prime. Mm. So I, I think there's been, some, there's been two things in that, an evening out among uh, power balance in terms of, you know, as you said, the, the roster makeup and also just a more of an influx of talent, you know, both internationally. There's some more, you know, uh, you talk about Stephen Adams and guys from Australia, even from, from all parts of the world that are now in the NBA than there were 10 years ago, too. So I think it's just more talent spread out. And, uh, and roster construction changing as well, partially 
because of that. Yeah, no, it, you mentioned it um, growing in popularity. It, even here in New Zealand, it's just absolutely shot off, um, and I'm sure that you know that that's going to be recognised uh, in the NBA. Just finally, uh, before I let you go, Alex, the off season it, it always does uh, provide us with a lot of storylines. Um, it's what, what I love about the NBA. It's not just what happens in those 82 games in the playoffs. Um, what else is floating around the league at the moment? Is there any sort of other major stories that are that are grabbing headlines? No, this is dominating the airwaves over here, man. Uh, this is the story in the NBA. You know, we're in mid-August right now. This is usually the slow time of the league before training camp starts in September. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of rare to have a story this big in this time of the year for the NBA calendar. Who are you, who are you picking for, for next year? I know we're a long way away and there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge. But, um, but is there, some, are there, there a team that sort of sits in your mind as clear favorites for next season? Honestly, Boston, with or without a Kevin Durant trade, I think that they had they made some really good offseason moves, and they bring everybody back next year, barring a trade. Uh, Golden State will be a year older, so I think Milwaukee or Boston is going to be the team that picks for next year if everyone stays healthy. Awesome, hey Alex, I really appreciate you coming on as always, my friend. It's great chatting uh, NBA with you down here in New Zealand. Um, go well. Hopefully, we'll chat again soon. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. There you go, Alex Schiffer out of The Athletic in the US. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mentioned the player power um, before. I, I think the NBA has you know some of the biggest player power. And he, he did point to the fact that because you've got these small rosters, players do quite often have a lot of power to move pieces around. But um, the precedent might be set if Katie, you know, if, if the decision gets made that they're going to get rid of those two, um, you know, the, the coach and the uh, GM then the president's sort of set there. I don't think they will. I don't think you do, as Alex said, get rid of um, two key members of your organisation to, to accommodate one player. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I guess what Niv mentioned, that they get a bunch of picks back in return. Um, they will get a, they will get a lot for him um, because he is one of the best players uh, in the in the league. Um, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. It is only August. Like I said, it's the quiet time of year. Um, and, yeah, all the American sports, apart from baseball, are... Uh, pretty much on holiday at the moment. Got the NHL was in the off-season, the NFL's in the off-season, um, and the NBA too. But when they all get back underway, that's when the uh, the fire starts again. I do love American sport. I'm a big fan of it. Um, it's on at a great time of day for us. They do it so well. And I think the NRL, to an extent, has bought into a bit of the, um, of the sort of US marketing system, I guess you'd call it, or, or um, the US marketing approach. And I think that's why the NRL does such a good job as well. Um, we are coming up news here at uh, 2.30. We're also going to be playing the chase in about 10 minutes' time. So don't forget the chase. Um, that'll be coming up very shortly. Your chance to chase down our chaser. No staff today, so you're safe. Unless we call them in. Maybe we'll call them in. Our special chaser. Who knows? Um, I'll tell you what. Stephen McIver next week. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. We'll need a name for him, Neeps. We'll need a nickname for McIver. Let's get them on the text machine, double eight, double three. There you go. <laughs> Next week on The Chase, Wednesday, we're going to have Stephen McIver, and we want you to text in your nickname for Stephen McIver. Um, and we'll rock that during the ch- uh, chase next week. Um, yeah. But first, let's get some news with uh, Johnny Mac. Oh, it's chase time, people. It's chase time. And usually I'm on that side of the uh, of the ledger, but I'm sitting in the big chair today, and um, I think I might be the chaser, so I asked for a nickname, and Gary's actually said, um, Sammy the Slayer, that's a Game of Thrones reference. Well, I do like Game of Thrones, so maybe we stick with the Slayer. 
Um, although someone says nickname Sam Newitt. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> that's brilliant. Sam Newitt. No, I think I think we stick with the same. Anyway, um, Neep, someone hand it over to you, big fella. Um, on the phone, we've got Chris. Chris, welcome in. Yeah, hi guys. How you feeling, mate? You feeling confident? Oh, oh, no. He's that confident yeah, he's putting us on hold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Are you, are you still there, Chris? We might have to uh, Do get, Chris, get Chris back up. Um, look, the, the Slayer strikes fear into those that face exactly. him. Exactly. I'd, um, I'd be scared too. Are you here? Didn't, didn't even get to ask him the mandatory question of uh, set A or set B yet. What does he want to go for just before we get him back on? Um... I think he's going for set A. Okay. Chris, sure. you happy with uh, set A? Yeah, that'll do. Okay. There you go. We got him back. Okay. I just thought you were running scared for a second there, Chris. But, um, yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> what I thought. <laughs> All right, Neeps. Awesome, mate. I'm going to put one minute on the clock. Uh, your time will start in three, two, one. How many wickets did Sir Richard Hadley take in his career? 426. 431. When did the England men win the FIFA World Cup? 1966. Uh, correct. And what city did would you find the Rose Bowl? Uh, Los Angeles. Who knocked out? Uh, that's correct. Who knocked out the All Blacks in the 1991 Rugby World Cup? Australia. What year did the Chicago Bulls win the last NBA championship? 97. 98. What year did Wayne's What team did Wayne Gretzky play the majority of his professional NHL career with? Uh, the King uh, The Oilers Which, What is the one golf major Rory McIlroy has not won? The US Open The Masters it? How many Formula 1 titles Has Sebastian Vettel won? Four That's correct Ivan Cleary has coached The Warriors and Panthers And what other team? Tigers Yeah correct And there is your time there I got How many was that? Four. I think he got what you think you he glanced over one that I think he might have got right. Was it like the fourth or fifth one? Uh, it was the one before the Chicago Bulls. The one before the Chicago Bulls. And who knocked out the All Blacks in the nineteen ninety one World Cup? No, you got that one right. Yeah, but you didn't say you didn't say it. But he did get it right. It was Australia. Yeah, he got, yeah, he got it. He got it right. Okay, sweet. So how many? So the four. Yeah, I thought he got five. I got, he got five. Oh, I got five. That's my bad. Okay, there you go. You got five, Chris. Five, uh, five to chase. Am I the chaser oh, I today? Post on the couple. Yes, correct, Sam. Okay. You are the tracer. It is the Sammy the Slayer. The Slayer. <laughs> yeah, we need some sort of imagery around it, don't we? Some sort yeah. of um, bell tingles or something. Yeah, that'd be cool for each of our different chasers to have, eh? So um, if I get one wrong or pass Chris, then we stop the clock and you get a chance to push me back. So I've got to get five. Five to catch. That's the one. I'm nervous. I'm All nervous. Right. Uh, Nev's going to load up one minute on the clock and your time will start in three, two, one. Dak Prescott is the quarterback for which NFL Cowboys. team? Uh, how many championships has ti- championship title leagues has Saint- Paris Saint Germain won? Uh, 13. Mm, stop the clock. Uh, over to you, Chris. Is it Champions League titles? Champions League titles. Oh, I thought it was, yeah. Yeah, none. Mm. Zero. That is correct. And we're going to load the clock back up now. Your time will start in three, two, one. What team does Scott Dixon race for in the IndyCar? Uh, Chip Ganassi. Correct. Who has coached the New England Patriots since Bill 2000? Belichick. Which former UFC champion is Sugar Sean O'Malley fighting next? Stop. Uh, pass. No idea. Over to you, Chris. 
No, I've got no idea either. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is uh, Piotr Jan in the bantamweight division. Oh, I never would have got that. <laughs> yeah. Never would have got that. So um, what am I on? You two? are on two. Two. Okay. Yes, correct. Um, let's start the clock again in three, two, one. Which team did Michael Schumacher win his first Formula One title with in 1994? Benetton. Correct. Tour de France winner Jonas Vinegard came from which country? Belgium. Deep down, incorrect. Chris? Is he Danish, Denmark? Correct. Oh, that is a damn. pushback. So well what is that? That takes you back to three, does it, Sam? Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait. Three or f- two? Two. 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 Take back to two. Take it back to two. All right. We're going to put time on the clock in three, two, one. How how many Olympic medals has Dame Valerie Adams won? Four. Correct. Uh, when did England win the rugby, the men's rugby world cup? 2003. Correct. And that is Nah, I got one more. Oh, He's got one more. I've completely... Uh, which NRL side has won the most premiership titles? That's South Sydney Rabbitohs. There you go. Even with my muck up, he's still got it right. That's great. I tried to go as quick as I can, just because I knew I'd get some wrong, Chris. Um, and interesting, NRL titles, it probably isn't Souths, but they've won the most uh, rugby league titles. Um, that dates back way back to back in the day, but I assume that's what you meant. Premiership titles. Premiership titles. Premiership titles. Okay, there you go. Along Unlucky, Chris. Inquiry. Unlucky. Inquiry. Inquiry. Investigation. <laughs> There's got to be an investigation. <laughs> oh, good effort though, mate. Good effort. You definitely. Um, yeah, I reckon you could have pushed me back if I'd um, if I had lost my way a little bit, but you did well. Well, I had to post it in a couple of my rounds. And that was the problem. You did. Yes, a couple of crossbars. Yeah. Uh, all good, yeah. mate. All right, cheers, lads. There you go. Play again sometime. Uh, Chris there. We do the chase every Wednesday, people. Um, Staff usually sits in the chair, but we get a celebrity chaser on from time to time. It might be uh, Stephen McIver next week. Um, Goose says, I thought the chaser couldn't pass. Uh, we can pass, but it hands it over to our opponent, which is what happened in that instance. So rather than just passing and moving on, they, they do get a chance to push me back. Um, and with my four-year-old literacy, it probably doesn't make it too easy. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought your PSG question, I thought you said league titles. And yeah. so I, was, I thought, oh, you know, French League One, but um, Champions League, I knew they haven't won any. Yeah, but, that's um, just me trying to read as fast as I possibly can. That's right. That's right. We got through them. We got through them. Um, there you go. That's the chase. Um, we do it every Wednesday, and we're going to do a chase our champions chase at the end of the year for our winners We've, we do have a list of people that have won the chase it's not very long at the moment but they'll get a chance to face off against each other at the end of the year um, we'll take a short break when we come back uh, we're going to go back in the day to finish up we're going to go back in the day to finish the show coming up 3 o'clock and then we're going to go uh, running it straight myself and Kempi after 3 o'clock and uh, just before we get to back in the day uh, Greyhounds dog speed 12 to 1 on a Sunday with Mark Rosanowski and Dan Roberts. Uh, they have all the, the inside information, tips, tricks for your weekend's racing. We'll pick our charity bet tomorrow, and uh, Dog Speed is where I get all my info. And um, yeah, it's, it's the place to be. And uh, big thanks to Gull as well, fueling your mission all year round, jumping on board with the afternoon show. We absolutely love it. All right, let's go back in the day. On this day, August the 10th, uh, back in 1995, uh, All Black Josh Confeld and Jeff Wilson signed contracts with the New Zealand Rugby Football Union, heralding the victory of Rupert Murdoch over Kerry Packer in a battle for the rights to televise professional rugby. The announcement of the Murdoch-backed professionalisation of Southern Hemisphere Rugby on 23rd of June ninety five is the latest salvo in a war between the two Australian media, media magnates. Uh, in 2002, uh, Peter Van Zeel, the iconic Peter Van Zeel. 
atrocious. Well, we've got a spectator on the field, and this is really, really poor stuff, this. He's attacked Dave McHugh. It shouldn't be possible for people to come onto the field of play. Dave McHugh down at the moment. Look, there's a scrum. That is pathetic. Well, there's a perfect uh, shot of it. To Richie McCaw just trying to stop that, and, uh, but uh, down he went, and AJ Fenter up there quickly as well. Well, it was so pathetic, he couldn't even get the tackle right. This is an absolute low light, and uh, really, I think for our country, this is not a good sign at all. 2002, I actually remember that, and I think it was Richie McCaw who might have uh, got him on the ground, or maybe um, Chris Jack I know was involved, he's got a very funny story about it as well, but um, Peter Van Zeel running onto the pitch and grabbing the Irish referee in a headlock during New Zealand's 30 points to 23 Tri-Nations win over South Africa in Durban, um, he had to retire with a dislocated shoulder, and the uh, South African Rugby Union banned Van Zeel for life. Um, birthdays today, uh, 75 today, uh, former England Rugby Union captain John Spencer, 64 uh, former England test keeper Jack Richards, uh, 62 Antonio Banderas uh, from Spy Kids fame, uh, 55 today is American boxer Riddick Bowe, 50 South African rugby hooker James Dalton, Kylie Jenner apparently is 25 today and uh, NBA basketball star J.A. Morant is 23. Winner takes a 3-2 lead in his opening round series. Morant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Wasn't it? Um, no, it was. I was thinking of um, Tom Abercrombie. Didn't he dunk on someone from, from the Grizzlies? Um, the number one movie on this day in 2001 was American Pie 2, uh, a cult classic. And the number one song was this. It's been a while. Is it by Stained? It sure is, Sam. Stained. Man, that's one of those ones that people used to always mimic. It's been a while. Bit of Creed vibes there. Um, there you go. That's what happened back in the day, August 10 for you. Um, we're approaching 3 o'clock, running at straights coming up next. Myself and Kempe. Uh, we're going to run through all the games from the weekend, take a look at this weekend. Plenty of issues floating about the NRL too. Um, so can you get Kempe's thoughts and your thoughts too? If you want to give us a call next hour, 0800 150 of course, you can text on double eight double three, but we love your calls. Um, but for the afternoon show, that's us for another day. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. There's plenty to talk about. Uh, we'll be 24 hours out from an All Blacks team naming. We'll have Tony Johnson on to talk about that, plus a lot, lot more. Running it straight, coming up next. But first, we'll get some news with Johnny Mac. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91